Church, we uh, have been um, going through a series called Our Family Will. And I want to encourage you, we're going to continue in this series, uh, what it means to be a family. And last week we focused on our family, we'll tell the truth, we will honor each other, we will be patient with each other. And uh, last week it was sort of fun uh, because I heard different people throughout the week saying, oh, that was exactly what I needed. And that's good because um, that just tells us it's a God thing, right? Um, we, God knows exactly what we need to hear, and I pray that that's the way it is every Sunday, that whether you come here, whether it's something uh, somebody shared with you out in the lobby, maybe it's something in worship, in song, maybe it's in the scripture, that you are blessed and you're challenged to go take what we learn here and to continue to live out this life. Um, I'm going to pause for a second. Tracy, it's good to see you here today. We were praying for you and your surgery. It's good to see you here. I know this church family has been praying for you. And uh, Roger Moden was here first service. I know you're praying for Roger. It's, uh, it's, it's good to see how God works. Um, grab your Bibles and uh, turn to John 3.16. I know you've got to memorize, right? But you might want to underline a few things. We're only going to be there a little bit. John 3.16. And as you're turning there, uh, I, was, I was reading a story from uh, Norman Vincent Peale. And uh, he's talking about a little Sweden girl that came to the United States, and she moved to New York. And this, this young lady um, found, was trying to find a place to live, and a very wealthy family in New York took her in, and they gave her chores to do to help give her some money and some spending money, and, and so she had something uh, to use to get by. And um, so it, Christmas comes around, and she's thinking, what can I do for this wealthy family? I mean, they've got everything. Well, what can I do to, to bless them? And she thought about it for a long time. Finally, she thought, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to do something in honor of this family. So she went out, and with the little money she had, she bought a little baby outfit. And then she went looking for the poorest family in New York that she could find. And she didn't know where to go, so she wandered around, and finally she ran into somebody who worked at Salvation Army. And they said, well, why don't you go to this neighborhood? So she went to that neighborhood. And in that neighborhood, she found a family, a little baby, that needed a new outfit. had nothing, really. And she gave that outfit to that family and just blessed this poor family. A couple of days later was Christmas, and she was with this, this family that she was now living with in New York, and, and they were giving out presents. And she said, well, what I have to give to you is something I actually gave to somebody else in honor of you. Because I didn't know what to give you, so because of what you've given me with the, little, uh, with the finances that I've earned, I've taken that, and I bought a little baby outfit, and I gave to, to a poor family that could not afford it in honor of you. So thank you for giving to me so I could bless somebody else. It was a nice gift, wasn't it? And in that moment, this young lady was blessed for showing kindness to a poor family. The poor family was blessed in receiving this little baby outfit. And the wealthy family was blessed in seeing how they had never been able to help somebody like that before in that manner. All that kindness was incredible. And that's the kind of kindness that we want to talk about as a church family. What it means to bless somebody, to be generous, to give, to show kindness. So our family will show kindness. And when you look at this first one, giving reflects God's character. John 3.16. Let's read this. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes on him will not perish but have eternal life. Now, 
Obviously, it's probably the most widely read verse, most widely memorized verse. And perhaps the reason is, is that this one single verse contains in it the essential elements of the gospel message that we all need to hear. When you look at this, it mentions who, first of all? God, right? The author of salvation. It mentions his love. It mentions the object of his love. Mankind, you and I. Take a look to your left real quick. Take a look to your right. And everybody's looking away from each other, so that was pretty funny. Let's do this. All of you on this side, look to your right. Everybody over here, look to your left. Go look. The middle. There you go. That worked best. And you all saw Bruce walking down the middle. Thanks, Bruce. Bruce is the object of John 3.16. For God so loved Bruce. You could seriously, and that's what I used to do. I was taught this like in the elementary you take the word, for God so loved the world, you take the word, the world out, and put your name in there. For God so loved, it's your name. He loved you. You're the object of his love. He loved you so much, a tremendous love for you, that he was concerned about you. God is so concerned about you, he's sitting there looking at you going, I don't want you to perish separately from me. I don't want you to be in hell while I'm in heaven. I want our presence to be together. So in this verse, we see that because of this love, God sends Jesus Christ. Jesus has to die on the cross, shed his blood, be buried, resurrect from the dead in order to defeat death and sin to give us new life. The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our our Lord. But that eternal life starts the moment we ask him to come into our life and surrender. To inherit or to receive eternal life, we're told this is what we have to do. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. With our mouths, we confess that Jesus Christ, Lord, and in our hearts, we believe that. The greatest gift ever given to us was given by God. Have you ever seen those things before? It's like, man, I'm trying to find the best gift ever to give somebody. What is the greatest gift I could give to somebody? You can't, because the greatest gift is God's Son to you and I. So you want to give somebody the greatest gift? Share with them the gospel. Share Jesus with them. You are going to be giving them the greatest gift ever. And then you can find something else to give them after that, okay? But the most important and the greatest gift is Jesus Christ. And giving, therefore, reflects the very character of God. Giving, therefore, reflects the very character of God. So we give to others without expecting anything in return. Guess what you're doing? You're reflecting the image of God. What a beautiful thing, isn't it? Turn in your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 6. 1 Timothy chapter 6. Giving is also an act of trusting God. It's in the New Testament towards the back. After 1 and 2 Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, a bunch of small books there, you get to 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy chapter 6. Verse 6, starting in, uh, I'm sorry, chapter 6, starting in verse 17. Chapter 6. 6, starting in verse 17. This is, Paul was writing to Timothy. Timothy was a pastor of the church in Ephesus. Ephesus was a very wealthy city. So in that wealthy city, you can imagine that church probably had wealthy people in it as well. So Paul, as he's writing to Timothy, says, listen, um, you might have some things come your direction as a pastor, some, some problems that could arise in, in dealing with people who have, who have a lot of money. So I want to I tell you what this says. Or I want to tell you what you should know about how God feels about all this. So Paul pens this down, sends it to Timothy. And Timothy says here, verse 17, Tell those who are rich in this world 
not to be proud and, and not to trust in their money, which will soon be gone. But their trust should be in the living God who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. Tell them to use their money to do good. They should be rich in good works and should give generously to those in need, always being ready to share with others whatever God has given them. By doing this, they'll be storing up their treasure as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of real life. You know, when I'm reading through the scripture and looking at this, I'm sitting there thinking, what does it first tell us? Paul says, don't put your trust in your money. Isn't it funny that if you pull out your currency, your money, what does it say in there? In who do we trust? In God we trust. I mean, even in a material possession that we have in our hands, it tells us, trust God. But what do we trust? Our, our 401s, our retirement plans, our, our bank accounts, oh, how much money we have. Because if we don't have those things, we're all worried. We get anxious. I don't have much. I'm getting, I'm, you know, we get, oh, stop, take a breath. We're to trust God, not the money. We're to trust God, not the material things. And Paul says, listen, trust God, not the money. When I trust God more than the money, more than um, what I, you know, I, I guess I'm sitting there thinking, I'm worried about what's in my wallet, and I'm not worried about my relationship with God. I'm finding commitment in something that I own instead of something that someone who owns me. That's what happens when I put my trust in money. I'm suddenly trusting and focusing on what I have instead of who owns me. Who created me? Who created you? God, right? He owns you, right? Basically. Do you think he's going to look out for you? Absolutely. So who are you going to trust here? I know I belong to God. I know that he's going to take care of me. I fully trust him. And, and therefore, I'm not going to just sit around and say, well, God, God's got, got this, so I'm not going to go work. No, I'm, I'm still going to go work. I'm still going to look for things to do. I'm going to use the gifts that God's given me and the talents God's given me to serve him, to work for him, and do what I have to do. But I'm not going to put all my ownership, all my trust in that money, in my paycheck. Ask yourself this. Are we rich in the amount of money we have? Or are we rich in the good works that he's called us to do? Paul's saying here, if you look with me again, verse 17, he says, Their trust should be in the living God who richly gives to us all we need for enjoyment. Look at verse 18. Tell them to use their money to do good. They should be rich in what? Good works. And should give generously to those in need. Always being ready to give. Let's go to the next one. Giving God, giving, I'm sorry, is giving God our best. Giving is giving God our best. Look in your Bibles to Malachi chapter 1. You're sitting there going, Malachi, where is that one? Okay, so go to Matthew, New Testament, right? That's an easy one. Just go backwards towards the Old Testament. You'll run into Malachi. Malachi was one of those prophets. And what he had to share here is something that many of us probably never sit down and read about, right? Help me out with this. Let me do a quick quiz here. The day after Thanksgiving is known as what? Black Friday, okay? And on Black Friday, people spend a huge amount of money. A lot of spending is done. And uh, the day after Black Friday is what? Small Business Saturday, right? Okay? So again, more spending goes on. And then we have on Monday, it's called what? 
Cyber Monday. Good. You're all following me here. Excellent. Good. A lot of money is being spent. And then on Tuesday, what's Tuesday? Giving Tuesday. Yeah. Okay. So I want you to think about this. We have Black Friday. Let's spend a lot of money. Make Find all the good deals. Then we got Small Business Saturday to support our small business. Let's still go out and spend more money. Then money comes along. Let's hop online if we haven't already done this the previous days. And spend more money because we're going to find the great deals online. And Tuesday, if you got anything left, okay, you find that charitable organization, that nonprofit mission, whatever it may be, and you're like, oh, yeah, I think um, i got something I can give them, right? Um, I'm just sort of saying it jokingly. Some of you probably have done that. You've given another way. But I think it's sort of uh, funny that let's spend, 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 and, and, oh, and then give. It's like I'm going to give, but I'm going to give what's left over. I don't know. I, and again, I'll give the benefit of the doubt to you. Maybe you already have your mind. I know what I'm going to give on Tuesday, and I'm going to go spend all this, and then I already have set aside. I'll give that on Tuesday, right? Or maybe you give to the church in one way or another. Yeah. I don't have any major statistics. I'm just guessing what could be happening out there. But I'm sitting there thinking, that sort of reflects the church at times. When I say the church, the church as a whole, not just our church, but the church as a whole on what we give to God. Do we give God our first fruits, or do we give God our leftovers? Look with me at Malachi chapter 1. In this passage, worship was being done incorrectly as people were giving to God basically their leftovers, okay? We look at verse 6, chapter 1 of Malachi. The Lord Almighty says to the priest, A son honors his father, and a servant respects his master. I am your father and master, but where are the honor and respect I deserve? You despise my name. But you ask, how have we despised your name? Well, you despise my name by offering defiled sacrifices on my altar. Well, then you ask, well, how have we defiled the sacrifices? You defile them by saying the altar of the Lord deserves no respect. Verse 8. When you give blind animals as sacrifices, isn't that wrong? And isn't it wrong to offer animals that are crippled and diseased? Try giving gifts like that to your governor and see how pleased he is, says the Lord Almighty. I love this. Like God approaches him and says, here's what you're doing. Um, you should be giving honor and respect to your master, right? Yes, I'm your master. You're not respecting and honoring me. Look at your sacrifices. You should be giving me your best. What are you giving me? You look at your animals that you're going to bring to the temple to sacrifice. Oh, that one's crippled. That one's really messed up. Let's give that one to God. That way I'm giving him something, right? That's what they were doing. They weren't going with their first choice, their best animal. They found the worst animal. The crippled one, the defected, the blinded one. They said, eh, let's give that one to God. And God's like, so if you did that for your governor, so put in modern day terms, what if you went to the government and said, oh, that tells taxes you take out of my check? I decided I'm going to give you what's left over and not what you get my, you know, first dibs out of, right? Because you get your checks, the government's already taken it all out, right, for taxes? Okay, let's reverse that. How about we just go to the government and say, we changed our mind, we're going to give you our leftovers. Okay, how will that fly with the government? Wouldn't fly, would it? But yet we do that to God all the time. This is what Malachi is saying here. Matthew chapter 2. Mike read this earlier in Advent reading about the wise men that came to Jesus. When these wise men visited Jesus, he was a toddler. And they come in and they had what carrying with them? A treasure chest, right? And he opened up their treasure chest. And what do you keep in your treasure chest? Leftovers? Keepsakes? 
you keep your most valuable gifts in there. And they pulled out these treasures to give to Jesus, who was just a toddler. They could have given him anything. He wouldn't have known, right? He's just a toddler. Some of you parents figure that out. Your first, their first Christmas, you load your kids up with everything. All they wanted was just a box and the wrapping paper. Second year, you sort of figure it out and you give them a little less and maybe you give them a box and a wrapping paper. But they could have gotten away with giving Jesus nothing or little. They gave him their best. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 9 and 10. Let me read this to you. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the best part of everything you have that you produce. Then, then he will fill your barns and grains and your vats will overflow with good wine. Giving God your best. Giving God your first fruits. God wants the first part of our income. He wants to take that. He wants us to demonstrate, or he wants us to demonstrate that he has first place. Not our possessions. We are basically mere stewards of what he gives us. If you're a baseball fan, you understand this. See, there's owners and there's managers. Owners are the ones who own the team. They're the ones that make the trades. They're the ones that bring in the players. The managers are the ones that takes the players that are in there, in the locker room, and makes them champions. We're managers. God's the owner. He gives us everything. Whether it's money or resources, whether it's your time, whether it's your talents, the gifts that God's given you, we are managers of that. We are stewards of that. Giving isn't always easy or convenient. That's the next one. You can turn to this passage if you want. Luke chapter 21, verses 1 to 4. It's actually found in two different places in the Bible. Also in Mark 12, 41 to 44. I'm going to be reading from Luke. But in this passage, we learn that giving isn't always easy or convenient. Luke writes, While Jesus was in the temple, he watched the rich people dropping their gifts in the collection box. Listen to the contrast now. Then a poor widow comes by and drops in two small coins. Jesus looks at his disciples and says, I tell you the truth, this poor widow has given more than all the rest of them. For they've given a tiny part of their surplus, but she, poor as she is, she's given everything she has. Now, if you can imagine this, the temple had seven boxes. One was like the temple tax, and the other six were blessing boxes in which people put their tithes in. We've got a blessing box in the back. That's how we do our offerings here. So if you can imagine Jesus is sort of sitting back there next to the blessings box, just sort of watching this all go down. First of all, it's pretty intimidating to walk into church and see Jesus sitting by the offering plate, right? It's like, oh yeah, I'm not giving him leftovers today because he's sitting right there watching me, right? Jesus is watching and he sees these, these rich people come in and they're giving some money. And then this poor widow comes in and she gives all of her money. In comparison, she gave everything. Now let me ask you this. Was that easy for her? No. Was that convenient for her? Absolutely not. But giving isn't always convenient, and it's not always easy. She gave all she had in comparison to so many others. Last thing about giving. Giving, or I'm sorry, God uses what we give, no matter the size. John chapter 6, verses 1 to 15, tells a story, and again, you're going to find this story in about couple, two, three other places in the Gospels as well. This is a story where Jesus took what was given him and he multiplied it. You've probably heard the story when you were little children. Um, maybe you've read it recently. But the disciples, along 
with thousands of people are listening to Jesus. He's teaching, and it's been a couple of days actually. And they've been sitting around for a while. And finally, the disciples are like, hey, Jesus, everybody's getting hungry. You probably ought to send the crowds away. Let them go home and eat, and um, let's just sort of be on our way. And Jesus is like, no, you feed them. Isn't that what God does with us? God, you know, we always find people in need, or we see things around us. We're like, somebody ought to do something. God's like, ah, that's why I put you here. I want you to do this. I'm equipping you to do it. So God he tells his disciples, you're going to do this. It says, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up, and he said, hey, there's a young boy here with five barley loaves and two small fish, basically five pieces of bread and a couple of sardines. And he got thousands of people. And Jesus like, all right, that's all I needed. And he blessed that food, and he broke it up and broke it up and broke it up, and they fed over 5,000 men, plus the women and the children, and they had 12 baskets of food left over. That's how, that's how our God works. Isn't that amazing? And you look at this story, and you say, that boy had to be sitting there thinking, this isn't much. Can you imagine a little kid? It's like, that's all I got. It's not much. And Jesus says, that's all I need. A lot of times we sit there and think, what we have is really little, and it really doesn't matter. And maybe what you gave at Thanksgiving, what you gave in the offering recently, like, it wasn't much. It probably didn't matter. I'm going to tell you right now, it doesn't matter in your eyes. But it matters in God's eyes. It matters in God's eyes. Because you gave. I don't think God's going to sit there and say, Oh boy, that was so puny. You should be embarrassed. That's not our God. That's not our God. When it comes to giving, God uses what we give, no matter the size. Amen? That's a good thing to know. Dave Meyer found a, something and he sent to me a few um, few weeks back. And I want to read this to you. He said he found it in the Max Lucado Study Bible. And he sent it to me. I thought it was a great read. And I want to share this with you. It says this. When you write a check for church or missions, first you enter the date. Already you were reminded that you are a time-bound creature. And every possession you will have will rust or will burn. Better to give it while you can. And then you enter the name of the one to whom you're giving the money. Now if the bank could cash it, you'd write God, but they won't. So you write the name of the church or the group that's earned your trust. Next comes the amount. Ah, the amount. You're more than a person with a checkbook. You are David, placing a stone in a sling. You're Peter, the one foot in the boat, one foot in the lake. You're a little boy in a crowd. A picnic lunch is all the teacher needs. It's all you have. So what will you do? Sling the stone, take the step, give the meal. Careful now, don't move too quickly. You aren't just entering an amount. You're making a confession. A confession that God owns it all anyway. And then the line in the lower left-hand corner on which you write that check is for, well, it's hard to know what to put there, isn't it? It's for the lights and literature, a little bit of outreach, a little bit of salary. Better yet, it's, it's a partial payment for what the church has done to help raise your family and keep your own priorities sorted out. And tune you into his ever nearness. Now I read that from Dave and I thought that was very timing, uh, timely so when he sent that. And I really appreciated him sending that. And it reminded me that when I give, it's more than a check. It's an investment into God's finances, into ministry that impacts lives for eternity. That's what we do. Our family 
will be generous with each other. Look at the person next to you and tell them our family will be generous with each other. Go ahead and tell them. Again, if you're visiting, this is new to you. Get used to it. And if you're sitting by yourself, you that was an awkward moment. Sorry. Okay. <laughs> Next thing is our family will be kind to each other. Our family will be kind to each other. Uh, it was just a, a few months back. I was in Cleveland. Uh, the Fellowship of Christian Athletes, our directors get together twice a year, and we meet and. Um, sometimes we start off with different things. And our regional director said, at this time, I, I want you guys to go around and just share something incredible that God's working in your life. People are going around and sharing. And uh, one of my friends, her name is Beth Hedke, um, she just turned 50, and she's like, oh, and, uh, she wasn't going to share this, but somebody said, you need to share this, Beth. And she goes, well, I just turned 50, and I didn't want the family get together, big hoopla type stuff, and the embarrassing party. What I wanted was to get all my friends together and go do 50 random acts of kindness. So this is what, and I, I, she shared something, and I said, Beth, you got to write that down for me and send it to me. And so she did, and it says this. Oh, no, I'm turning 50. I didn't want a traditional birthday party with all those gag gifts and other sweater or toaster. I had another idea. I wanted to bless others with 50 random acts of kindness. So I invited eight of my closest friends and my mom with a borrowed van from the church, and we were off on a long-day adventure. With the help of my mom, who baked cookies and made candy, we bagged them with tags and said, we're celebrating a birthday today with 50 random acts of kindness. You've been chosen. Enjoy the blessing. So off we went. First stop was Kemper House, a home for Alzheimer patients. We sang, Jesus loves me, amazing grace, and this is the day that the Lord has made. What a joy it was watching those precious faces light up while we sang. Some even sang along. I thought to myself, this was going to be the beginning of a fun day. Next, it was Rake and Leaves, and then she tells about that. And then Redbox, you know, where you can rent movies for like a buck something. Uh, they taped microwave popcorn packages and notes to the machine. Um, then they went to the local library, and he went and found children's books, and he stuck $1 bills between the pages in the library books. Uh, $5 Starbucks uh, gift cards and other things. And she went on and on and shared. I made copies of this and put them on the back table by the blessings box if you want to read. It's, it's a good read. Uh, it, it's truly encouraging. But I was reading this. I was saying kindness. Kindness. It's another incredible act of showing God's character. What she did was imitating God in how she loved other people who probably didn't deserve any of this stuff, Right? That's what a random act of kindness, you're just doing for something, they didn't earn it. You just did something randomly, right? Look with me at Romans chapter 3, 23. Romans 3, 23, 24, and 25. God shows us his kindness, first of all. In Romans chapter 3, 20 through 25, it says this, For everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard, yet God in his grace freely makes us right in his sight. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty of our sins. For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. Here's the thing. All sins make us a sinner. Okay? All sins make us a sinner. There's no measuring cup. There's no measuring line. There's no way to say, is your sin bigger than mine or is your sin worse than mine? There's no determining factor in doing that. All of our sins, all of our sins cuts us off from a holy God. Whether you think it's this big or this big, all of our sin therefore leads us to eternal death and separation from God. 
But God's kindness is shown as we read here, his infinite kindness, or as I read here, his undeserved kindness, which is actually translated grace in the Greek, is God giving us what we don't deserve. That's why it's such amazing grace that we sing about. He is showing us undeserved kindness. He looks at our sin, no matter how bad it is, how little, how big. He knows we're all sinners. We're all separated from him. And his amazing grace, his undeserved kindness is shown to us and saying, I want to bridge that gap. I want you to have a relationship with me for eternity. And we see the kindness of God expressed in salvation. We see the kindness of God's son, Jesus Christ, expressed in how he dealt with lepers and and people who uh, were demon-possessed or sick or whatever it was. He always went up to them and showed compassion on them and loved them and touched them. He showed his kindness to them. God's kindness is in us. We touched on this verse last week, Galatians 5.22. And and this verse basically says this. When we surrender to Jesus Christ, God gives us his Holy Spirit. That spiritual journey now begins in us. It's a sanctification process. It's a journey of growing closer to Jesus Christ, to be like him. And in this process, like a plant that grows, it eventually bears fruit. We eventually bear fruit as believers in Jesus Christ with God's Spirit working through us. Our fruit, however, according to Galatians 5.22 says, it is love, joy, peace. Last week we said what? Patience. And then the next one is kindness. That word translated means to be adaptable. It means that uh, it's compliant with the needs of others. In other words, I'm going to show kindness. I'm going to do something for somebody who's not like me. This person's not like me. They're different than me. But I'm going to be adaptable. I'm going to be compliant with them. I'm going to show them kindness, even though they're different from me. That's tough sometimes, because it's easy to love the lovable. It's easy to love those who are friends with us. It's easy to do kind things to people who are kind. But to do something for people who are different than us, that's always a challenge, right? But see, when God's Spirit starts working through us, His kindness in us, gives us the ability to do that, what we cannot do on our own. Finally, kindness is an act and an attitude. If if you read here in Romans 12, 13, and I'm going to read this for you. Romans chapter 12, verse 13. In the book of Romans, if you ever read it, the first 11 chapters are an incredible thing. Uh, Paul basically puts together, this is what we believe about sinfulness, about forgiveness, about how God frees us and, and gives us the opportunity to grow in Him. And we get to chapter 12, and it's called the action. It's the do it chapter, okay? Now we put into action what we were believing, how we behave. And again, our family acts in accordance with what we believe, right? Verse 13 says this, when God's people are in need, be ready to help them. Always be eager to practice hospitality. Paul tells us to be ready, that's attitude, to help, that's the action. He says, be eager, there's the attitude again, to practice hospitality, there's the action. Attitude and action. If you're an athlete, you understand this. Attitudes and actions go together. You can't have one without the other. As a believer in Jesus Christ, we know it's the same thing. Attitude and action. Belief and behavior. They go together. As we discover this, about the love of Jesus Christ working in us, 
our attitudes change, right? And when our attitudes change, our behaviors change. I, I, I want to share this with you. I, I know it's Christmas. I know it's a season where it's easy to be generous and kind, right? But being a Christian isn't a seasonal thing. It's our lifestyle. It's who we are. And I want to encourage you as a family to be generous and to be kind. How are you going to be generous or kind? That's up to you. I gave you some points that I've discovered in looking at God's Word. Again, if you're thinking, but I'm, I don't have a lot. Would it remember that point I talked about? No matter what size, it's okay. At this time, I'm going to need some help because I think it's time to put into practice what we've been talking about. Okay? So I'm going to need some help. I'm going to need um, fifth and sixth graders. Could you please come up here? Seventh graders, come up here. Just sort of stand along the front here. Oh, yeah. Um, any eighth graders in here? This is great. Now, this is, you're all going to help me with this. I'm basically going to give you a stack of envelopes, and you're just going to go around and hand them to every single person that is in this room. Now, even if there is a one-year-old in this room, they're going to get an envelope as well. Now, wait, don't go yet. Okay? You're welcome. Oh, the line is getting... Look at this. Now they're all coming up. Wow. Okay. Now, hold on right there. I'm going to sneak between the two of you. And we'll get some more. All right. Let's give you each a stack. Oh, thank you. Now, at our church, we have what is called a benevolence fund. A benevolence fund basically takes place this way. Every Sunday when you give to this church, we take 10% out of the offering and we use that for blessing other people. Missionaries, mission organizations, uh, food pantry, gas cards, people in our church who are going under maybe a really tough time and they could need some help. Okay? Um, I got a whole army of people here. This is what you're going to do. Um, I got a call from, from Greg Burkholder and said, we've got um, some money left in our benevolence fund. We need to get rid of it before the end of the year. So this is what we're going to do. You're going to help us spend the benevolence fund. Okay? That benevolence fund is to bless other people. I'm going to ask you to go bless somebody. Okay? So I'll give you more instructions in a second. If all of you could go just give your envelope to somebody. So everybody in this room is going to get one envelope and then just bring back the leftovers to me. I'm going to ask the worship team to come forward. Now listen carefully. We are not a rich church, okay? It's not like we're sitting around saying, hey, let's just throw money, you know? Okay? Um, we've got a building to pay off. It would be nice to have a paid parking lot. You know, there's, we love the add-on. So, no, we've got bills to pay. But like I said, we set aside first fruits. And we use that to bless other people to help those in need. And we did this a few years ago. We gave every family, not every individual, every family... Uh, an amount of money. And we said, as a family, go bless somebody. We heard some cool stories. Uh, I remember Linda Moden saying, there was a lady in front of me, the church gave me $20, and 
she couldn't pay for her groceries. And I looked at her, and she needed help. And so the amount that she needed to be pay off her groceries was $20. It was the same amount that we had given her. And there's incredible stories like that that were coming back. And so you're going to help me this. Uh, leftover envelopes. Do you have any? Okay, go ahead and bring the leftovers up here. Actually, here's the leftovers. You got one for you? There you go. Get one for you. Did you get one? You're walking away. You're walking away. Get one. There you go. There you go. Got yours. Did you got one? Did you get yours? Okay. Did you get one? Who else? There we go. Everybody got one, right? Okay, good. So inside every envelope is a small gift. Five dollars. But what you do with that five dollars could be huge. So every individual's got one, not families. You can combine yours if you want as a family, or you can do something individually. But I'm asking you to do this. I'm going to ask you to pray about it. Maybe actually you walked in this morning saying, I really wanted to help somebody, but I don't know, you know, I didn't have, it's just a couple bucks, but I, I didn't know. There you go. Pray about it. You don't have to do it this week. It might be next week. It might be Christmas when it actually happens. There's a couple rules, though. Brothers can't swap, okay? <laughs> I should be looking at my own brother, my own boys, right? Like, hey, uh, I know you need help, but I need help. You know, no. Um, I want you to prayerfully consider who you can give to. Now, inside their envelope is the $5 bill, plus there's a little note that talks about this, giving you some random acts of kindness, some ideas that you can do. But this is what we want to do as a church. We want to be a church, a family that is generous and kind to one another. And I know you already are. This morning's message wasn't going to be enlightening, like, oh, I never thought of that before. Today's message was a note of encouragement to keep on being generous, to keep on being kind. And we're going to help you with that. Take this and go. Use it in a way to go be the church. If you want, you can email me, call me, text me, and say, hey, I want to share how the money was used. And it's not a pat on the back, okay? Let me tell you, there's joy in sharing, isn't there? I think East had a tremendous night. And then when I heard what you guys were doing, it's like, oh, if you only knew that that's what we're doing, how it lines up, that's the way God works, right? Share with each other how God uh, was able to work through a simple act of kindness. And I believe more people will be blessed. Amen? Would you please stand? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what an awesome God you are. I thank you, Lord, that we can come here today to, to sing to you, to be reminded that you are a generous God. You are a kind God that shows undeserved kindness to us your grace. So God, I pray that we can be the kind of people that honor you by saying, we're going to show kindness to others. We're going to show grace to others. We're going to show generosity to others. We can't do that on our own. We need your spirit to help us. So God, help us as we leave this place to be the generous and kind people that represent, that look just like you. Love you, Lord. We worship you now in song. In the name we pray. Amen.